Well, I'm going to ask you to turn now to chapter 5 of Ephesians. Chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 1 to 14. The title of the message is, Be Imitators of God. Be Imitators of God. That seems like an impossible task, by the way, but uh, we have some instruction here. So, And we have the Holy Spirit. Chapter 5. Verses 1 to 14, hear the word of God. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be mentioned among you, as is proper among saints. There must be no filthiness or foolish talk or vulgar joking, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure or greedy person, which amounts to an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. See that no one deceives you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore... Do not become partakers with them. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in unfruitful works of darkness, but indeed even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ's light will shine on you. It's about three years ago. Some of you may remember I was telling you about baby Caleb. Now, when baby Caleb was born, a couple of months in, about six, seven months, he did not look like either his mom or his dad at all. But now he's approaching four years old, and I'm happy to say, yes, he's starting to look really like his dad. Very much so, and that's no surprise. He has the DNA of his dad. And you could say it's in the genes, but he's not only starting to look like his dad, he's starting to behave like his dad as well. Starting to replicate some of his dad's mannerisms, some of his dad's characteristics. This is not a natural. This is common for children because children imitate what they see, what they hear, and, and who and what influences them. It's like that for God's children as well. As they grow in the grace and knowledge of God, they get to know what is good and acceptable to God. And to grow in godliness, to grow in Christ-likeness, Christ-like conformity with the intent to become imitators of God. This is the will of God. I want you to consider something. Very early on in Ephesians, we saw something. In chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, consider this. The calling of God. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him, present and future. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. Those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. 
Now, we must consider that Christ-like conformity is part of our mission here on planet Earth. We have now, by the Spirit, the spiritual DNA that is needed. But the reality to imitate God seems a little far-fetched. Because of the lingering body of sin, it is difficult and sometimes it doesn't come naturally. It may not come naturally as imitating an earthly father. Who is adequate for such a calling? Well, with the Holy Spirit, in the new self, made in the likeness of God, in righteousness and holiness of truth. Though we are far from perfect, we are called to be imitators of God. Now, the spirit life will cause us to bear the fruits of Christ's likeness. We must understand we belong to God. We are his workmanship. He purchased us. He called us for his purposes. And a child of God, thereby, must have a different set of values, a different set of morals and ethics than children of the world, children of disobedience that we will see. But when we say imitate God, what exactly do we mean? What is God like here? What is the implication? Well, God is love. God is love. We see that God is holy, implicit in this text. And we see that God is light. Now, the outline will be this. Let me give you the headings. Three ways that the children of God, beloved, are to imitate God. The first way, children of God are to walk in His love. That will be verses 1 and 2. The second way is, children of God are to walk in moral purity. That will be verses 3 to 6. And the third way we imitate God is to walk in His light. Verses 17 to 14. Now let's begin. We see the first heading. We are to imitate God by walking in God's love. Therefore, summarizing what we had previously won over in verses Chapter 4, verses 25, he is summaring what he has spoken of thus far. The summaring conclusion is to be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, we are created and now in the likeness of God, and we now are to abide in God. Those who are of God, born of God, are to abide in God. 1 John 2, 6, the one who says he abides in him ought to himself walk in the same manner as he did. We are to walk in God's love. We are to walk as imitators of God. Now, walk in love refers to behavior. We've seen walk already in Ephesians, and we'll see it again. It's like a consistency of our behavior. When we walk in love, God's love, we imitate God. Now, the phrase walk in love is only used here, and it refers to a selfless love, a self-sacrificial love. There's a difference between God's love that is shed abroad in the child of God's heart, heart and a difference with that and the world. That the world's love is always about self. The world's love is self-focused, it's self-centered. But this love, God's love, is giving. It's self sacrificial. And we continue in verse 2, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. The same sort of love that we see here was perfectly expressed when Jesus Christ gave himself up 
for his sheep. And this was an act of obedience on his behalf. Now, it's in this act of Christ's love, we see a good description found in Philippians 2.8. We see, being founded in appearance as a man, this is Jesus. He humbled himself by being, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, being found in appearance as man, why did Jesus have to come in the form of a man? What does this mean? Well, I think we get the answer in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. And he came, and that is the incarnation. Now this love, this agape love, is a self-sacrificial love. This is an act pleasing to God, and that's where we get fragrant aroma. That's a good smell, a sweet smell, a sweet savor, fragrant, pleasing to the Father. There are many offerings we see in the Old Testament, all different types. Particularly when we look at Leviticus, we see five types of offerings. But when Hebrews develops the finality of the last and final offering, and the contrast between the Levitical priest who had to do this daily has now been summed up in Jesus Christ, in the demonstration of his love, in his sacrifice, in his offering for his people, pleasing to God. Let me give you an example. Consider what the writer writes in Hebrews 7, 26 and 27. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests, speaking of the Levitical priests, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of his people, because he did once for all when he offered up himself. In the Old Testament, these offerings were flawed and imperfect. And I wanted to spend some time to show you that the last and final offering, there needs to be no more offering. This is an act of worship on Jesus' behalf. And while we cannot have an offering for sin, our lives can be an offering. There can be sweet-smelling fragrance and obedience on our behalf. We can present our bodies as a living, holy sacrifice, which is acceptable to God, which is our spiritual service of worship. So, obedience on our behalf. This love is characterized with obedience. This love is self-sacrificial. This love is pleasing to God. This is a key. Self-sacrificial. And Christ is the pattern of this love. And we are to love the brethren. We are to love one another. Consider 1 Peter 1.22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, since you've been born again, saved, redeemed, through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. So walk in this love. But consider how easy it is for you and me to walk in this love with one another here. Consider how easy it can be, maybe not all easy all the time, it is easier to walk in love inside the church 
with the brethren, as we walk in love with the children of light. But it's harder to walk in love once we go into the darkness, once we go into the world, when we leave this building. In loveless situations that we encounter. See, it's easier to imitate God inside the church, but it's a challenge once we leave the church. And therefore, when we go into the world, the reality is to imitate God, Christians must abstain from certain behaviors. To imitate God, we are not to imitate the practices of the ungodly. Brings us to our second heading. Children of God are to imitate God by walking in moral purity. Now we look at verses 3 to 6 on the perspective of how not to walk. We do not imitate God when we participate in the practices of the world and darkness. Practices of the children of wrath. No, we are children of God. Practices of the sons of disobedience. No, that's not how we are to walk. Let's look at verse 3. In the NASB 1995, we have verse 3. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Now we look at three things in this verse. And when we get to verse 4, we'll look at three things as well that deal with speech. These are not proper among Saints. The term saint. What is saint? Many of us had a miscalculation and a misunderstanding of what saint is, and many of us have come out of Roman Catholicism. But a saint is, is basically one who is set apart, one who is sanctified and made holy, set apart from what is unholy. Remember the calling and election. He chose us before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. Present and future. Now, in the New Testament, saints are people that are living. Many misconceptions believe they are, they are dead people that we are to pray to. No, saints are the ones called out by God. Now, let's consider what these words mean. Now, the term here we see more immorality. Some translations will have fornication, like the New King James. The ESV will render it sexual immorality. This is sexual immorality, what Paul is talking about here. Now, I can give you a long list of what to abstain from. But in the context here, I think what Paul is speaking about is the temple prostitution, adultery. But I can give you the long list of pornea, but I can say it this way, which is easier. What is sexual immorality and what are we to abstain of? Sexual immorality is any practice outside of marriage, a marriage union between a man and a woman. Let me say it again. Sexual immorality, as the New Testament defines it, is crystal clear, is any practice outside of a marriage union and or covenant between a man and a woman. As Christians, we are to abstain from sexual immorality. Notice... Verses 1 and 2, the self-sacrificial love we are to walk in. When we get to 3 to 6, we start to see here lust, selfishness, self-fulfilling, self-centered. And that's what sexual immorality is. Now, for these pagans who are one in Christ, 
They're coming out of a culture and sociological settings where sexual immorality is very prevalent in the society. But not only that, they're coming out of worship practices that incorporated this, oddly enough. In fact, a typical pagan worship uh, service would involve sexual immorality with the goddess Diana. Cult prostitution was common throughout the New Testament world. And Paul dealt with this with the Corinthians. But what is proper among saints? So I kind of already told you that, but let's look at what the writer of Hebrews indicates. Hebrews 13.4, God's standard is monogamy between married couples. That's it. Let's look at it. Hebrews 13.4 makes God's expectation for his children clear. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let marriage, the marriage bed be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. Young people, understand this. What is common practice is most of the time not godly practice. You may say, that seems kind of restricted and rigid. Everybody's doing it. That's not important. The standards of this world, the standards of man is not the issue. The only standards that count is God's standard. But the majority rules. No, God rules. You may be in the minority, but God's standard rules. Understand that we are now entering in a culture here in America and, and throughout the world. There's nothing new under the sun. We may think it's so bad today in America. It's the worst place. In, no, it's not. It's not. There's nothing new under the sun. But make no mistake, we are going into a very sexualized culture, a perverted culture. And there's a vanishing of conscience because of the depravity of the heart. And many have become comfortably numb when it comes to shame. There's a seared, deprogrammed conscience. And ethics are highlighted by society's loss, the turning off of the conscience, in my opinion. But let's look at the second one. So immorality, which is sexual immorality, impurity or greed must not even be named. The second one here is the word impurity. And this could refer to anything that's clean, unclean or unholy. Unholy or unclean. Impure or lustful actions. Impure or lustful thoughts. Impure or lustful words. Impurity compared to God's purity. A passionate desire. Here we see with covetousness, the third one. A passionate desire for something belonging to another person. The word for greed here, this third one, after impurity, is greed. It can also be translated covetousness. Covetousness is a greedy desire to have more, particularly in the area of sexual immorality. Now, God's love is replaced here by the lust of man when we are operating with this. In chapter 4, we discussed a couple of things when we looked at it last time. When you were non-believers before and after, and let me just say something, I didn't grow up in a monastery, folks, okay? I didn't always believe what I believe now, but God's word is clear. But let's consider what these pagans once were. Now we see in verses 19 that they have becoming calloused, would give themselves over to Every, for, over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. That's pertaining, a lot of that word sensuality is pertaining to sexual immorality as well. 
And Paul goes on to say, but you did not learn Christ in that way. So therefore, this is not something that, this might have been practiced years ago. But now this is something that we are to no longer associate ourselves with. Let it not be named among these set-apart children of God, these saints. We are to abstain from such acts. But also, as we see in verse 4, we are to abstain from such conversations as well. Verse 4, And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. Now, this is not proper for saints three ways. Now, these words can mean a lot of things. Filthiness can mean obscenity, clearly. And you would know what that is. Silly talk or foolish talk? Now, we love to be silly. I I hope you realize that. We uh, We have a lot of comedy in this church. And laughter is good medicine, Proverbs 17, 22. But there is a line you do not cross as per the Scriptures. And silly, foolish talk or coarse jesting. This carries the idea of turning something that was said into something uh, vulgar or dirty. Impure expression. Now all of, these, all of these terms placed in this context are dealing as well with this immorality that is sexual by nature. When we participate in these type of sins, we, be, we imitate the world. Because this is completely approved by the culture that we walk in. It was completely approved by the culture in Ephesus. The Christians were the strange ones. They were the peculiar people. And it's kind of the same for us today. We do not want to be part of this sort of vulgarity. Now, our speech, in contrast, should express an appreciation to God but rather giving thanks as we look in the end of verse 4. Our speech should be with thanksgiving. And it's very interesting, when you are a thankful person, when your speech is full of thanksgiving, it acts as a counterweight for sin. It's a great balance to not sin. Because it's difficult to sin and give thanks at the same time. A lot of times when we're sinning, we're, we're discontent and we're murmuring and complaining. And the ingratitude can easily lead to sin. But positively, we are to give thanks. Now, what are we to give thanks for? Well, for the married people here, you can give thanks for the gift of sexuality. You can give thanks for the the marriage covenant. Give thanks for something like that. Because every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Now, the world would tell you differently, but we have God's word. Give thanks. I don't feel like giving thanks. You see what's going on in this world. The madness of this world is depressing me. The madness of this world is angering me. Well, you can give thanks about something else that we're going to see in verse 5. You give thanks that if you are a beloved child of God, you are not under judgment of God. Let's see. Verse 5. Know this with certainty that no immoral, impure person or covetous man... Who is an idolater has any inheritance to the kingdom of Christ and God. Three more terms. And the fourth one here, idolater, denoting not a child of God, but someone who is not a child of God. And if you're not a child of God, 
Ephesians makes it clear, you're a child of wrath. It's interesting, who are these people? Well, these are people that do not practice what we have spoken about in imitating God. They have no ambition whatsoever. The text tells us here in the verse, they have no inheritance to the kingdom of Christ or to God. They are not of the light, as the passage teaches us, but they are of the dark. And they show their true colors. Maybe these are people inside of a church, as we're going to see in, in, in verse 6. But we look at these sexual sins. What about the Christian? What about the Christian who's engaged in these sins? What about the Christian who's battling with lust or immorality or greed for that matter? Certainly you can be part of the light but practice darkness. And statistics indicate that Christians certainly can fall into sexual sins. It's happened. It's happening. Well, what can you do? The first thing you want to do is you want to stop. That may sound like an oversimplification, but you want to stop. Repent of your sin. Ask the Lord for forgiveness. Ask the Lord for strength. Repentance is turning away. See these practices as God sees them. Don't see them as the, as the world sees them. And a fear of the Lord would cause a man or woman to depart from iniquity. There are practical steps you can take. For an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure. Immorality, impurity, and all these various practices are to be what? Put to death. Put to death. Therefore, your members which are upon the earth, we are to mortify. Speaking of uncleanliness, fornication, and several other sins. Mortify. Kill. Don't put yourself in harm's way. Put yourself in a position of humility that you can pray. Praying to the Lord that we may be strengthened during temptation. Can a man take fire in his bosom and not get burned? When we're convicted of sin, we ought to confess it. As 1 John 1.9 teaches us. Don't practice what the children of wrath practice. And don't listen to advice from people who are destined to hell. It's wrong. Do not try and justify it, as many around you will normalize these practices. It was happening then. It's happening now. Because consider verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The vast majority will tell you it's okay. The word of God is telling you, no, it's not. These people were inside the church trying to validate sinful practices. Don't listen to these people. Don't imitate these people. These are not children of God. Now we see that they're sons of disobedience. Now we see this term, empty words. These are worthless words, words void of truth. Do not listen to... Don't let anyone deceive you with these words that are void of truth. Because they are of the dark and they walk in immorality. And they will try to rationalize sin. Particularly all kinds of sexual sin. The vast majority will try to validate sin. And we see this throughout our culture. We see this in the modern sitcoms. We see this in soap operas, in Hollywood. Where adultery, adultery is glorified. All types of sins in the entertainment industry. The vast majority of academic institutions are trying to validate 
Things that are of the darkness trying to say they're of the light. Trying to say there is, there is no darkness whatsoever. And those who are going to college, those who are going to school, be not ignorant of Satan's schemes. Now we also see many modern day psychologists will try to convince and persuade of the normalization of deviant practices and will redefine normal as abnormal. Now, modern psychology and psychiatry, in my opinion, does have its place and definitely can be helpful for people. But when it tries to validate and affirm things that God says no to, the Christian must have no part with it. Modern psychology, understand, much of it is not about change, but much of it is about acceptance. And the Christian's primary source should always be the word of God. And understand, when you are in defiance to society's sins, that probably will bring scorn to you, criticism and persecution. You must deal with it. Now, sadly, as we see here, even many then and now in the church will use these empty words, these words void of truth, to try and validate sinful practices and all immoralities of sorts. When that happens, they may be in a pulpit, they may look the part, but they are not speaking for God. There's a brainwashing and deprogramming of the conscience that's happening right now. And the culture feels this way. What this... What is happening here, if they say something enough times, if a lie is repeated enough times, again and again and again, that somehow we should accept it as truth. God's word is clear. That can never happen. So those who do this are distorting and manipulating the truth. Now you see the correlation here? Did God truly say? Yes, he did. Maybe God's withholding something from you. You see the correlation here that this all goes back to the garden? The distorting and manipulating of the truth. It's like the child of God who's to imitate God asking one of these people, these sons of disobedience, for directions. Can you tell me how to get to such and such a place? And they say, you know what? Follow me. I'll take you there. I'm going to pass there anyway. And you follow them. And you know what happens? You drive off a cliff. Don't listen or take spiritual advice from people who are destined to hell. People who are on the broad road. No, we are to maintain our walk and imitation of God on this narrow road. And quite frankly, we are the minority. Popular opinion is not the right opinion. If you are a child of God, the chances are you probably will not be of the popular opinion. We understand that the majority does not rule for the child of God, but God rules. So don't practice what the children of wrath are practicing, for bad company corrupts good morals, and you will start to imitate them. And this is particularly for the young people here. Listen to God's word. Don't be persuaded. You know, for some of the older people too, it's like taking, would you take advice from a financial planner that you knew was going bankrupt? Probably not. Would you go into business with the financial planner that was going bankrupt? I hope not. See that no one deceives you. Okay? So this brings us to our third heading. Imitate God, his beloved children, by walking in his light. 
We imitate God by walking in his light. Verses 7 to 14, we look at verse 7 and 8. Therefore, concluding, don't be partakers with them. Now we see a before and after motif once again in Ephesians. For you were formerly darkness, but now a light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Maybe you're new to the faith. And maybe all these practices we looked at were your practices. But you're no longer of the darkness. Remember what we looked at, the old man and the new man. Put off the old manner of life. Put off the old man and put on the new. We must understand, therefore don't be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now, present, you are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. What fellowship does light have with darkness? Children of God do not imitate God by walking in the darkness. Those who know God, who walk with Him, are of the light. Therefore, walk in the light. Very interesting what Peter writes in 2 Peter 1.4. We are made partakers of God's divine nature. And he goes on to write, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It goes back to the self-centeredness. It goes back to that. We've escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Those are our old evil desires, and they still linger within us. Understand that salvation brings light. There's many different counterfeit forms of light, spirituality. But salvation, by the grace of Jesus Christ, brings you life. Because when you believe... The light shines within our hearts and we know the glory of God that was seen in the face of Jesus Christ. This is the light. Now let's make some scriptural considerations about walking in the light. Consider what Jesus said in John 8.12. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So don't live like those in the dark, since you have light. Another way of saying this is 2 Corinthians 6.14. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, dark people, darkness. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Righteousness indicating the light, lawlessness indicating the dark. What fellowship has light with darkness? And this is a theme throughout the New Testament. We see it in John's. Writings, we see it in Paul, we see it in Peter. Consider Thessalonians. For you are children of light, children of the day. We are not the night or of the darkness. So there's two categories you can be in. And Paul says a lot of things, many, many ways here. But you're either in the light or you're in the darkness. And you probably were, you were, I know I was, you all were. In the darkness at one time. Self-satisfying, self-gratifying people. Trying to gratify the lust of your nature, your earthly nature. Make the application the old nature. As the darkness is equated, equated with the old self. So let's consider what the fruits of light are. Now... What are the characteristics of light? What are we to pursue? What is the DNA that we now have spiritually by the Holy Spirit? Verse 9. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness 
Righteousness and truth. Let's just look at these terms. Goodness can mean generosity. Kindness. It's part of the new self. Righteousness can mean upright in behavior. Morally upright in godly behavior. Truth. Sincerity. Dependability. You are of the truth. The fruit of light should be the manifestation that comes from the child of God. And when this is practice, we are now imitating God. There's a distinct way to walk. There's a very specific way to walk. In verse 10 we see, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, knowing what is pleasing, knowing what is right, knowing what is good, and thereby doing what is good. You must know what is good, what is pleasing to the Lord, in order to do it. And we see this in the Word of God. It's not anything that's just plausible or pragmatic. I'll tell you what this is not when we're trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. It's not saying, Lord, you know me, you know my lifestyle, hey, take it or leave it. No, that's not what we are to pursue. We are to prove what is good, perfect, and acceptable to God. We are to look at this here to know that what is good, what is of the light, is righteous, is good, righteous, and true. That's the fruit of light. Comparatively with what is darkness, unrighteousness, unholiness, what is false, what is sinful. Those are the fruits of darkness. Now, when society tries to validate darkness as light, we must expose it. We must expose it. Now, you must know what is right and what is wrong. And young people, there's a lot getting thrown at you, whether you're young or old. This premarital sex, what was in the 60s as free love, is now called hookup culture. Homosexuality, adultery, whatever the sinful practice is, whatever country you're in, whatever century you're in, whatever ethnicity you are, God's standard, God's word does not change. Understand that light will never be darkness, and darkness can never be light as per the living word of God as per the God of the Word. Verse 11. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, what is unfruitful, but instead even expose them. Even expose them. This word means to convict or refute. We're told again not to participate in these unfruitful works of darkness, now that you are in the light. But the author goes one step further. And it's a command that may take us out of our comfort zone. He says, you should not only not participate, but you're to shine your light intently to expose. The implication is shining your light. When you shine your light to point out sin, it is of the benefit for those who practice sin. It is not to show that you are right and they are wrong. There's a benefit here and a compassion in shining the light. Shining the light, speaking the truth in love. Shine the light. What's implied here is that light will bring conviction. Light will bring conviction. Now, how exactly do we shine the light? One of the ways is to imitate God, to live this exemplary life in goodness, righteousness, and truth. To live the life that is righteous, not what we saw in verses 3 and 4. 
To maintain your identity while you're living in the world. To be light in the darkness of the world. You are to be who you are. Unapologetically, might I add. You are a Christian. You are a child of God. You are to be who you are. You are imperfect. But you are to exhibit Christ's likeness. And consider how to be who you are. Who are you? 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. A people for God's own possession. A people for God's own possession. God's people. God's people. You may be the minority, but you are God's people. So that, why? You may proclaim... The excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So proclaim it in lifestyle, but proclaim it in word as well. In evangelism, something happens when you shine the light of the gospel. When you proclaim the message, false thinking, false religious schemes, and false practices may come to the surface. Light represents, lies represent darkness, but light shines in the darkness. Now, this could be joyous when it's received. When light penetrates darkness, but when it's rejected, it may become uncomfortable. Because light is what exposes the darkness. And then conviction. There's, there, there's a relationship here with conviction and shining the light. Speaking righteously in the public square as well. It's not all about evangelism. That's a primary point. But there are things coming into your school, into the school with some of your children are when you say, no, that's of the dark. No, no good. We're not having it. And this may cause some people, and it gets gets very touchy. It may cause some people to draw back, as we looked at last week, and refrain from shining your light. But we must heed Jesus' words for the days that we have on earth. Matthew 5, 14 and 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We are of the light to imitate the light. And shining the light is not necessarily here to win arguments. It is to win souls. To speak the truth in love because you love people. You know what their destiny is. It's not that you want to hurt a person. It's not that you want to to say, I got the truth, you don't have the truth, or you're wrong. No. It's to show them the light of Christ, the love of Christ, the mercy of Christ, that Christ is the way. To show them that they're on a road that's broad, that is full with destruction. We are the light of the world, but you must consider that even we, the light, we need the light as well. Even though we possess the light, we need it as well. And conviction comes to us as well when we pick up the word of God. Because the word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. We need direction of the word. And when it comes to direction, sometimes we are prone to wander. We get off track as well. But through the word, our good shepherd uses the word as a staff very often to keep us, put us back where we need to be. So children of light are to be fruitful, to correspond what is good, righteous, and true. 
You must know what to say and how to say it. Verse 12, it is disgraceful even to speak the things which are done by them in secret. In secret, sins. Light makes things visible. When you shine the light on the person, the objective is that they would see the error. That they would see that they're in sin. And they would turn to the light, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 13. All things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. Light reveals what darkness tries to hide. Why do you think so many despise the word of God? Why do you think so many despise the church? Because light, we are ambassadors of light, disseminating light. Light shines on the sin. And on some level, some subconscious level, not a a saving level, but there may be a conviction. So many hate the church, and many hate the God of this church, Jesus Christ, who is the light. Let's consider John 3, 19-21. This is the judgment, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds were evil. For any, everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. This is an imitator of God, the ones that come to the light. So there's this connection here between truth, light, and lies, and darkness. As we look at verse 14, this has typically been understood as an early hymn or poem. And consider verse 14. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, And Christ will shine on you. When we turn from our sins, Christ brings light. He brings life. True light has come. And you can know the truth. And the truth can set you free. This is the light of the world. Jesus Christ. And Christ will shine on you. Prophesied in Isaiah 49.6 with a near and far application. I will make you as light for the nations, that salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Isaiah 61 to 4, a near and far application. Arise, shine, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light. And kings to the brightness of your rising. Consider what Paul said in Acts. The truth that he proclaimed in Acts 26-22. Paul says, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place. Verse 23, that the Christ was to suffer. And that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light to both Jewish people And to Gentiles. True light has come into the world. And enlightens every man. Christ is the light. Let your light shine. And be imitators of light. So in summarizing. Child of God. We ought to be separated from the world. And not imitate the world's practices. We ought to imitate God. 
How do we do that? By walking in His love. We are to walk in moral purity. As children of God, we are to walk in the light. So others may come out of this kingdom of darkness into God's kingdom of His beloved Son, the kingdom of light. And we have to instigate righteous change where applicable. Instigate righteous change where applicable by shining the light. In conclusions, there are some things that come naturally to me and to you. And I can do pretty good impersonations, but imitating God is not something that comes natural to us. So we are to imitate God, and this will come not naturally, but supernaturally. This comes in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now that's all well and good. We are being conformed to the image of Christ, but how does this power of the Holy Spirit come? Well, when you decrease in the flesh, in the self-centeredness, in the, the lustfulness, and you walk this way, when you pray, and I want to increase in this, I want to imitate God, but it doesn't come naturally. How can I make this more natural? Well, it's like Caleb and his dad. When Caleb spends more time with his dad, he becomes more like his father. He takes upon the mannerisms and the characteristics. When we abide in Christ, we become more like Christ. And we bear the fruits of Christ. And slowly, slowly, it doesn't happen overnight, we start to resemble Christ. And we become... Step by step, day by day, we take some steps back, we become more like Christ. This is what I want. And it doesn't come naturally. It comes supernaturally. Let's pray for that. Father God, we give thanks to you, Lord. We give thanks, Lord, that you have taken us out of the darkness of this world. You have shown us Jesus Christ, who is the light. You have shown us his amazing Amazing love, the self-sacrificial offering that was acceptable to the Father that He did on our behalf. You've shown us that. And Father God, we know that You are holy. And Father God, we pray that we would be holy, Lord. We pray, Father, that You would lead us and guide us and help us to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against our soul, but that we would walk in this moral purity, Lord, and I pray for the young people here, Lord, that they would understand that God's truth is the truth. God's way is the way to go, not the ways of this world. And Father, we pray for this congregation. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to shape us and conform us to the image of your beloved Son. For we are his beloved bride. In Jesus' name, amen.